It's Song Talk Radio. Welcome to Song Talk Radio. This is the show with songwriters talking to other songwriters about the craft of songwriting. We share tips, tools, and techniques, and together we all become better at writing songs. I'm your host, Neil Modi, and with me, my co-host, Phil Emery. How you doing, Phil? I'm doing pretty great, and I'm pretty excited about our show tonight. Me too. It's going to be a good one. And uh, we'd love to hear from you too, our listeners. Please send your comments and questions to at Songtalk Radio on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Feedback at songtalk.ca for the email, and we'll share your thoughts on the show. And please visit songtalk.ca to see the show post for this episode and to find links to resources we mentioned. And uh, before we get into the meat of today's show, which is going to be very exciting, um, we got uh, we love getting emails um, uh, at feedback at songtalk.ca. And, and Phil, you got one for us? Certainly do. Uh, this one is from Mark uh, Ippolito. He's been um, a contributor to our show and the uh, certainly the songwriting uh, challenges. Yes, he has. And uh, he's coming to us from Seattle. And mm-hmm. says, uh, Mark writes, Neil, Phil, great episode with Susan Cantaniono. Uh, chock full of great tips uh, to get inspired, overcome the ball of doubt, and just have fun writing songs and playing music. Thank you for all you uh, thank thank you for all you to support the community of songwriters gratefully. Uh, side note: uh, read modes and songwriting. I was listening to a recent interview with uh, Phoebe Bridges, who shared a pivotal moment in her evolution as a songwriter. A producer she worked with suggested she investigate modes and find ways to integrate uh, in- them into her writing. She confirmed it was a total game changer for her, and now every time I listen to her songs, I wait for it. The modal chord, melody, change, and sure enough, it's like a little bit of spice added to what otherwise would have been a less than remarkable line or verse or change. Really powerful stuff. Look forward to bringing more of this technique into my writing and seeing what kinds of results it can produce. Thanks very much for the email, Mark. Wow. Yeah, that's that's awesome, Mark. Looking forward to, like I was saying about modes, that's going to be our next songwriting challenge. So Mark has contributed to our songwriting challenge the last two years running, so I'm sure <laughs> it sounds like he's gearing up and ready to that one. And of course, the, the show he was mentioning with Susan Catania was, uh, was last week's episode about um, uh, conquering writer's block. Yes, um, which was which was an amazing episode. Susan's always absolutely terrific at talking songwriting. She knows her stuff inside and out. So definitely recommend uh, if you haven't heard that episode, definitely check that out. And um, and of course, Mark is also a regular uh, attendee of our song talk uh, meetup, uh, the latest one, which was just this past weekend. And um, it was very uh, small attendance. It was only about nine people. Um, which was which was very intimate, and we only had one newbie uh, to the group, but uh, a bunch of familiar faces. And every time I come away from the meetup, I, I, I always try to find the thread that kind of joined many of the discussions uh, together. And I think and I think it's actually going to feed into what we're talking about on the show tonight, because a lot of people. Um, that presented their songs, obviously a lot, maybe a few, but the, probably the most interesting discussions was about finding focus in your song. Mm. Cause there was one songwriter who had, it was clearly an I and you song. And then she got into her chorus and, and changed the point of view to she, 
and it got a little bit muddled in terms of the narrative. Oh, and, right, right. And, and we're like, well, just try and consolidate it. Let's, let's try and focus it. And another person had, you know, a really long meandering lyric that kind of went into these different places. I'm like, let's just you know, decide what your song is actually about. And, and and another person was writing a protest song that that was about a particular person, but didn't really address the person in, in the song, kind of address, you know, the issues in a broader sense. And, and we're like, let's try to bring some focus to your song and, and 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 kind of pull it together a little bit, a little bit more clearly. So that, that seemed to be the thread about... Um, you know about you know we talked to, we talked about this with Susan on on the writers block show about like you know decide what your song is about and that gives you your anchor and and gives you something to hold on to and and really um pin your pin your story on especially when you're going through and doing your um review of your song when you're going through and you know tweaking the lyrics when you look at every verse think about okay what is this actually focusing on is it clear? And um, if it's not clear, that means you just need to work a little bit harder on it. Yeah. And it's really it's hard okay. sometimes. It's really hard sometimes when you write a lyric and you know what it means. Yes. You really got to try and step back from it and look at it, look at it objectively as a listener. Is the listener going to understand what this means? You know, you try to divorce yourself from you knowing where the song came from oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and make sure that it communicates actually what you want it to communicate. The best way, of course, is send it to a friend and be like, can you can you discern what the song is about? If the answer is a clear no, then <laughs> you yeah. have some work to do if, if that's what you want. <laughs> that, well, that is true, especially if, especially with a protest song where you have a real point of view to get across. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's. Uh, it's worthwhile taking that time to focus on it because it's so easy to get to assume that everyone is just like you and understands everything that you understand, yeah. which is wrong. But they should. They should. <laughs> but people, comes you to know, me. <laughs> well, of course, everyone understands what you mean, Neil. Yeah, exactly. You're special. He knows what I mean because I'm special. That's okay. what they always said about Neil. Neil's very special. That's what my mom told me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's never wrong. So, you know, it's true. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, tonight we do have something special lined up on Song Talk Radio. Uh, we're going to be talking about creativity in a broader sense and how universal concepts around creative creativity apply to your songwriting. And we're very privileged to have author and designer Joey Confone with us. And uh, oh, sorry, jo Joey Cofone <laughs> with us. You got it. <laughs> Joey Cofone is a founder and CEO of Baron Fing and, and an award winning designer and entrepreneur. His work has been featured in Fast Company, Bloomberg, New York Magazine, Bon Appetit, Quartz, Mashable, Gizmodo, and Print, among others. Joey was named a new visual artist and separately Wonderkind designer by Print Magazine. He is the author of the new book, Laws of Creativity, Unlock Your Originality, and Awaken Your Creative Genius. And there is the book for those of us on YouTube. You can see this. Uh, welcome to Song Talk Radio, Joey. Neil, Phil, thank you for having me. I was saying earlier that I am equal parts excited and intimidated by this conversation, and I'm looking forward to, to digging into that whole uh, situation. And, and your, your book is um, in the preview right now. It is not officially released yet, is it? It just officially released last okay, week. Perfect. Yeah. Last week. And I okay, today perfect. I hit number one on Amazon wow. uh, in one of the categories I'm listed. So I'm officially a bestseller. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was, so, it was a cool so, thing to see. 
Yeah. So can you just give us, in, in a nutshell, um, for our listeners, because um, both in Phil and I, you were generous enough to send us uh, advanced copies, and we've been reading it, and, and it's really fascinating and, and interesting and kind of right down our alleyways. <laughs> um, but can you just give us a quick overview? Um, what's what's the book about? Yeah, sure. Well, briefly, I uh, started Baron Fig, and we make tools for thinking. And so uh, it was about time that I start thinking about writing a book on mastering your ideas. And I used the pandemic to write the book, The Laws of Creativity, which is about how to think more creatively, how to unleash the creative process, and then how to rise above the rest. So ultimately, you've got better thinking, a stronger process, and then a path to true excellence. Yeah, and 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 it's and it's really amazing how you've um, really great how you've organized the book. It's more like a business book, whereas everything is very compartmentalized and and methodically thought out. And there's stories with um, with famous people and not so famous people, <laughs> and and how they address things, and then the theory, and then a summary at the end of each chapter, which is very much you know a very 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 clear kind of you know process and roadmap. Good. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. When uh so I when I had the idea for this book, you know, talking about I was listening to you guys earlier and I want to already bring things back to the idea of collaboration. Uh I brought it to one of the top editors uh, in the world, you know, to get their advice and I showed them my idea and he said, you know, speaking of there are people who know more than your mother and some who don't. He said, um I I don't like it at all actually. And, uh, you know, I was a little shocked. Okay. Tell me why. And essentially he said, well, we don't, we don't want 39 laws. We want three or five. And, uh, we don't want a book with words. We want a lot of images. It should be look creative. And I said to him, you know, following one of the laws, I said to him, does a cookbook's pages need to be editable? And he said, no, of course not. And I said, then why do the pages in a book about creative creativity need to look creative? And so I'm glad that I went against what he recommended and that mm. it resonates with you. And it's sort of a book that's a little bit more uh, nonfiction, straightforward to the point. Our audience in general is creative. I mean, there are people who are already have been writing songs and they've been oh, focusing yeah. usually on, on playing music. So they're kind of creative. And uh, someone I was mentioning in the book to said, well, you know, is that really appropriate for your audience? But actually it is. And I'll just use a metaphor from my story from my own life. Um, I was a musician before I got into my world, which is initially was design, but has now gone into marketing and advertising. But I was already writing music before I actually went to art college. I went to art college as a as an, an adult. And the thing that that helped me realize is I became a better musician and a better songwriter when I became a better visual artist because mm. It helped me understand things like uh, flow, like composition, of contrast, in another kind of way. So in music, we use flow and contrast, and you see, but when you see that and work with it in another medium, it helps to kind of cement it in your own brain in a different way with a lot more depth. And this book is, there's a lot of stuff that you know I think as creative, we're kind of aware of, but actually having it sort of spelt out and kind of highlighted, makes you go, oh, yeah. And I was thinking one of the um, points in your book was combining different things or things that don't normally go together, and that's how you come up with something new. And that's what we do all the time, when someone takes a hip-hop beat and then it combines it with a country mm -hmm. song or 
we do that all the time, but sometimes being able to be a bit more con uh, conscious of, you know, or if you're, in, if you're in having writer's block, take two things that don't normally go together and smash them together to see what comes out. It may not be great, but the process will help you come to a creative solution that you probably wouldn't come to before. Right. You're dead on. My, my hope is if you think about, you now let's take a football player or a basketball player, and I'm sure they will do all read books, you know, how to be a better, you know, quarterback or how to be a better point guard. And that's great. But there are also books about fitness in general that can be useful to them. And I think what this book is like that, it's not necessarily about music or songwriting, but it is about the fundamental process that you use to do that activity, right? It's one layer beneath it. So I think you nailed it. And, you know, I'll be totally transparent. You know, I had the same thought coming on. Wow, this is um, this is going to be a challenge for me. And I, I like that. And I'll tell everybody out there why. So as I told Neil briefly and Phil earlier before we started, when I grew up, my dad, um, he's deaf. And my mom made the decision not to play music in the house because it would be exclusionary. You can imagine if we're all sitting around the table bobbing our heads and mm -hmm. he would be constantly reminded that there's something outside of his domain of existence that, that he's not enjoying with us. And so I didn't even listen to my first full album until I was 13, didn't go to a concert until I was 18. Wow. And I uh, never really played an instrument my entire life. The way I look at music, it is like a black box. And that is why tonight is so challenging. And I'm looking forward to this conversation a lot to, to unpack some of these things and how it still relates despite that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially when you're not, <clears throat> you're not intimately familiar with that particular domain, um, like I was saying earlier, like you've, you've compartmentalized everything into these discrete laws and discrete pieces. And that's kind of the, that's kind of what we've done on this podcast for the last nine years is that, you know, we, we dive in on particular aspects of songwriting and particular things. And, and I'll admit that when, you know, when I was a little kid and, and, and started um, composing on the piano, um, it was very intuitive. It was just whatever kind of mm. wherever my fingers uh, kind of went. And it wasn't until much, much later when I was an adult that I realized that there's actually a craft to this and there's a discipline um, to this to this exercise, because I think a lot of people, especially the general public who aren't necessarily musicians or songwriters, they tend to believe that songs arrive from the heavens and mm. And and it just sort of pours right. out of you in an afternoon, and there's no editing, and and and, and that sort of thing. And that's the sort of thing we reinforce on this on this podcast is that there is actually a lot of steps involved and a lot of process involved. And right. granted, some of the songs that do come out very quickly and intuitively, those many songwriters say those are my best songs. I can say that <laughs> those are my best songs. <laughs> yeah. The ones yeah. the ones I the ones I agonize over don't tend to be as as good. Um, however, the, I, but that is that is slowly gradually shifting as I mature and, and, and grow that the ones I'm editing, I'm better at making them sound like they just kind of poured out. Mm. Right. Right. And, and, and I think I think it's very instructive even to other songwriters to say, look, the creative process is the creative process, whether it's through visual art or whether it's I mean, even in your book, you, you cite business 
um, entrepreneurship examples mm-hmm. and things where you're combining different elements together and 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 looking at things in a, in a creative way, which is which is really great. And and I think it is very instructive for songwriters. Um, to, just to reinforce that even further, that it's it's not even just in the realm of of the art form that you're engaged in. You know, I, I come from a, a, a mm-hmm. design background as well, and and for sure, those those sorts of things they they, they exist everywhere. <laughs> even in film, in filmmaking, in video, in storytelling yeah. in general, those those things exist. Absolutely, the fundamentals for sure. Did you sort of come into any sort of new insights while writing the book? I mean, you've been you know, professional creator um, for a long time, but then writing this book and putting it down is taking that knowledge and putting it into a different medium in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I I took notes on my phone actually for a decade. I knew I wanted to write this book and anytime something would strike um, a chord when I say, oh, that's, that's a lesson that more people should know, I'd write it down. And when the pandemic came, my wife, pulled me aside when I was talking about this book over dinner and she goes, listen to me, if you don't write this now, you're never going to write it. Mm-hmm. And she was right. And, and so my first thought was that I am going to essentially take the creative process and explain it fully from start to finish. So I went out and I spoke with people who consider themselves non-creatives, which I don't believe actually exists and we can get to that. But I spoke to them and, you know, people who are not songwriters or not designers or not illustrators. And I asked them, what would they expect from a book about creativity? And it turned out that they had a lot of the process right in terms that they they understood it, how it should go. But it was their approach and their mindset that really was off. And so uh, what became just a book about the creative process actually had to be first set up in part one, which is the mindset, which teaches you how to think before you even do anything. And I like to call that installing your new operating system for creativity, and then the process. And along the way, I had a lot of people ask me, hey, man, you've, you know, you've designed over 100 products, you work with these creators from all over the world doing incredible things you know, what's your insight? And so that's how part three came, or it's the excellence. And uh, when you put those three together, I realized that I had accidentally created one of the first holistic outlines of creativity as a, as a practice, which I define creativity as the practice of ideas. And so like, the best way I can describe it, and I use an analogy that involves music, so I hope you guys like this, is <sighs> fields of thought are not all parallel. They're not all operating at the same level all the time, right? For example, music back in, let's say, the 30s, 40s, 50s, right? Jazz in the United States was incredibly powerful, yet there were so many musicians who did not know how to read music they just played, right? And now as time has moved forward, the practice of music, from what I understand from my best friend who is a music teacher and a percussionist, he has said it's not like that at all anymore, that now more and more people uh, understand the fundamentals of music, even in school, it's taught as kids. So if you think about creativity now, I think we are behind. We are where music was 70 years ago where people are able to play the music 
but they don't necessarily know what notes they're playing. And so the book that I put together is what I hope is a way for people to understand the notes and then make the music even more wonderful. Definitely. I think the practices outlined in the book will actually make every songwriter a better songwriter, but also help you get to, I think, the next level of your songwriting, which might be, you know, not everyone wants to necessarily be a star, but maybe that means having more people hear your music, maybe uh, having, you know, playing some live shows. There is a sort of methodology which does help get you out of your head. And I, I think one of the problems with musicians, because so many musicians just kind of do it, you know, you pick up a guitar mm -hmm. and you just start playing and you kind of, so you kind of stumble through and you have these little sort of, I call them islands of knowledge. And you sort of really understand a lot about modes, but you don't know how to read music or, you know, a lot about modes, but you don't understand that much about rhythm or something like that. And having a practice for your creativity will help you actually get into the, the last chapter, which is the one about excellence, which is getting your game and getting it up to that next level which I think is, which is a real struggle, I think, for many musicians. Yeah. You know, I think one of my favorite chapters in the last section, and that has to do with music so much, is 35. It's called, titled, Locate the Present Moment. And it's the law of the now. And it's all, it says, you know, I'm looking at it here, connect to the present and let time fall to the wayside, ignoring what was yesterday or what may be tomorrow. And essentially, it's about having a conversation with the present, with the moment. And music is absolutely featured in this because music very much is only a conversation with the moment, you know, at least from my outside perspective. When you stop playing, the music stops going, right? And when you're listening, I'm not listening to the entire song at once, like I could look at a poster all at once. I have to listen to that moment at a time. You know, in this in this one to illustrate, so every chapter has starts with a story because I want to entertain the reader first and then inform later. So this story is about, I don't know if you guys got to it. It's about Herbie Hancock when he was young playing with Miles Davis. Does it sound familiar? So Herbie Hancock uh, was 23 years old and he joined the Miles Davis qu quintet. And uh, he was sitting there on the piano uh, jamming away. And Miles Davis, I think, was just doing his background tune and uh, Davis's solo was coming up right after Herbie was done with his bit. And at the very last stanza, if you will, pardon my incorrect uh, terminology, perhaps, Herbie flubbed. And the problem with the flub that he did was that it wasn't so obvious that people in the audience would realize that Herbie screwed up. But the very next note that Miles Davis was supposed to play would be extremely dissonant to what Herbie had done. And it, so it would actually look like Davis had made the error. Mm -hmm. And so Herbie Hancock was so shocked. He actually lifted his hands off the keys. He put them over his ears and he was stunned. And he made eye contact with Miles Davis and time stopped. And the space between his note and Davis's seemed to go on forever. But finally, of course, what may come must come. Davis played. And the magic happened is that Miles Davis played a different note rather than the one he was supposed to. One that was consonant to the note that Hancock played, gently brought it back. No one was the wiser. Herbie put his hands back on the keys and he continued playing. 
And afterwards he spoke, this is a story that he had told for years because it blew his mind. It was a lesson so powerful that when you are playing, you're not just playing the music that that is dictated. You're having a conversation with the moment. You're having a conversation, in this case, with the musicians around you. And it was, it's, of course, a wonderful lesson here in this book to just like say, hey, as much as you know what you know at the end of the day, in the moment when you're doing it, adaptability is key. Yeah, and especially in music, and especially in jazz, there's always that... That old joke about jazz, if you play a wrong note, just play it again, and then it becomes the right note. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Which is kind of, kind of the opposite of that. Yeah, which, which is really an, an, an insightful thing. And it, it's interesting how you, how you perceive music as, as being in the moment, which, which it is, but it's also really intimately tied in with memory, right? Even oh, in absolutely. the span of a song... You know the ideas of 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 novelty versus repetition is a very strong thing that that everyone deals with, and and it goes it goes back to the section of your of your thing where you're talking about plagiarism versus, um, you know, versus um, what was it? inspiration versus plagiarism, and and that's always the thing that the musicians are concerned about. You know, in terms of copyright infringement or whatever, but in terms of the creative process, it's it's always a thing where you're always borrowing or or stealing <laughs> from, right. um from from what came before right and a little bit and and then you know the idea is that you you twist something one element of it um in order to make it your own you know you're mashing it together with something else or you're bringing some yeah, kind like, of novelty to the to the familiar and because because it's true like if you do something um, that's completely out there. That's that has no familiarity to anything before it, which at this point seems virtually impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, if you if you were to a- accomplish that, you would you would alienate every listener that would ever listen to this because they they need something, at least something to grab onto. So okay, I, I I dig this. I know what's going on here. Oh, but that was interesting. That was different that you did at that moment in time, and and that, that that's the sort of you know, that's the sort of struggle that I think that's the sort of struggle that that songwriters today go through because a lot of people say it's all been done, and what can I do that's that's new? And that's in in chapter three, which is uh, thinking combinations. Uh, the opening line is um, base concepts can neither be created nor destroyed; they're simply merged to form new combinations. Creativity is not about creating; it's about com- uh, combining. Mm-hmm. Which is so true. It's like taking those various elements and making them into something new, but and yet somehow familiar. And that's what great art is. Um, someone once uh, told me that great art is something that makes you remember stuff that you've never experienced and makes the new familiar. Yeah. When you've worked with creative people, I think creative people have a. There's people who are you know consider themselves not creative, and maybe you can speak to that. Mm. But there's people who are creative, but I think sometimes they can get in their own way just by their own approach. Have you sort of had any experience with people getting in their own way and how to get them out of their own way? Well, I think we can know too much or we can Mm. not even think we know too much. I mean, we can generally sometimes know too much. Is, is, is that kind of a is that kind of a danger with this book that some people are perceiving it as all oh, you you telling me you give me rules for creativity I don't want your mm-hmm. rules man I'm just like an artist and yeah I, it is a, a welcome critique I think that something like this um, can be controversial 
Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Neil, to address that, and Phil, I don't want to get away from what you said either, is, you know, imagine, have you guys been to Berlin ever? Not yet. Good. I'm winning with Berlin. This is the the key. (laughs) Uh, Neither have I. However, if if I said to either of you guys, hey, we're going to go to Berlin tomorrow, you would absolutely know how to get there. Okay. You'd go outside, you'd hop into Uber or you'd take the car to the airport, follow streets and signs. You'd get on a plane, you'd land, you'd maybe take a train or a bus. And you'd eventually make your way to Berlin, right? Even though you've never been there. But you couldn't tell me right now what Berlin is like. That's the process, Neil. And that answers the question where even though I can't tell you what you're going to get at the end of the creative process, the signs and the roads that we take are always the same. There's mm-hmm. there's not a danger to opening your eyes and saying, now I understand the path. Because frankly, if it were not formulaic to an extent, people would not be hired to do creative things so reliably, period. Mm-hmm. Songwriters, designers, illustrators, list goes on. So the, it's not magic that we're performing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So thanks for the question. Phil, as far as you know, what you said earlier, I do think people can know too much. So if we go back to music, you know, I, I had another buddy who really, really studied music. He wanted to be um what's the word? Virtuostic on his instrument. And he studied all types of um practices, you know. Latin, jazz, hip hop, et cetera. And he knew so much that when I would say, hey, man, just solo for me now, just play. And he would say, well, what do you want me to play? And I would say, anything. Like, what's the big deal? Just noodle around, like you guys said earlier. And, you know, to answer your question, I think people who do consider themselves, you know, creatives in the sense of their profession, they can get in their own way by knowing too much. Like this, this gentleman had. Uh, at the time. And then, you know, he had a teacher who basically slapped him and said, you know, you need to shut the hell up, stop thinking and play. And <laughs> you, and it worked really well. Um, as far as you're, you're mentioning, you know, people who are perhaps not creative, I do want to tell everyone out there, because I think it's an interesting fact, and it's the cornerstone of the book, uh, which is, we were doing some research early on, and I found out that NASA did a study, this is in the intro, so you guys are definitely familiar with it, that um, discovered that 98% of five-year-olds are at the creative genius level. And for the listeners out there, parse that for a sec, that means most likely you. However, that number drops by the time we reach adulthood. So before I go and spoil it, I'm going to give everyone about three seconds to think, oh, what percentage does it drop to? Three, two, one. It goes all the way down from 98% to two, which means that we're, yes, we are systematically eradicating creativity from uh, our culture. And, you know, there's a host of reasons uh, which we can go into or not, but Long story short is this was not a book about teaching you how to be creative. It's reminding you what you probably already knew at some point in your life. What are the factors that are reducing creativity, do you think? Yeah, there's three of them. There's three. So the first is that we teach that authority is unquestionable when it's not. I mean, that's how the authority came to be by questioning the previous. 
The second is that we teach that rules are uh, unbreakable or unquestionable as well. And that's absolutely not true. Rules are an evolution of the rules that come before them. And the third is the key is that we teach young people that the end is visible from the start. And I'm not being hyperbolic here. We literally educate that way. For example, we give a kid a book, Fahrenheit 451. I want you to read this and write a three-page paper on the plot by next week. Or here's three geometry problems. I want you to solve them with proofs and diagrams for next week. And so we know where we're going before we get there. And songwriting, book writing, is the exact opposite. You might have a gist of what you want to express, but really until you start writing, you don't know where you'll end up. And that is why we go from 98 to 2, because all our life, we're there with teachers and parents giving us the end, and then we go to bosses and managers giving us the ending, and we don't really choose the ending for ourselves after a certain point in our lives. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point because it's really about it, it's really about certainty versus uncertainty, right? Yeah. Like if we if, if we know the destination, then then the journey is kind of you you know which roads you're going to take to get there. But if you don't know the destination, or specifically the destination, which, which is something we say as as well as uh, on 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 the show sometimes is that you know you need you you start writing a song and you kind of have to let it breathe, you have to let it do its thing. And, and and the song itself has a life of its own and you need to listen yeah. to your creation and and figure out which direction um it, it it wants to go not necessarily the direction that you want to go but um i i, I thought actually one one of the other one of the other things you were going to say too was that is and you mentioned this in your book as well there's there's the injection of the when, when, when I learned this in, in in university, it was it was like the sort of the injection of the ego, right? Like like there's there's creation and the and the act of of creation are combining two things. You are spinning yourself into it, right? You're 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 giving us you as an artist or as a as a creator are giving the world your take on whatever it is um um you're you're you're, you're actually creating. So you're always you always have that bias and you always have that that sort of um uh angle on on what it is you're creating if you if you write with a particular style if you design visually with a particular style and a particular bent and a particular political angle then that's that that that's your kind of take on things right yeah there's a there's a point about identifying with the stuff you're creating and when you start to to make that who you are, it becomes harder to start and work because it's not play anymore. And play, mm. you know, as I define play, it is, um, it's when you're in the moment. And if you put all this pressure to identify with what you create, you are making it something more important rather than just a fleeting experiment in the moment, which I think anyone who has created a song or created much of anything really can say, you know, it is it is a surprise that I got there and because I let it happen. And so when you identify, your ego gets uh, involved and then, you know, it becomes so much more than it it 
it should be, unfortunately, and it makes it that much harder to to make anything good. Hmm. I was actually think I was actually thinking of it in a more of a positive sense, in that it gives you the ability to focus on one particular um, on one particular not detail, but on one particular angle. Right. And say, I'm, there's, I've always think back to my university, like when I was in university, I studied architecture and okay. I, I struggled a lot through architecture school. And it wasn't until my final thesis that I kind of arrived at the moment where I realized what creativity actually was for me, because my, my final thesis was kind of an ecological architectural invention in a, in a park. And I was trying to be everything to everybody. I was trying oh, to make this like I globally, globally addressing mm-hmm. you know every everything on the planet kind of thing in, mm-hmm. in in this in this design intervention, and when I finally decided I'm just going to take literally this particular slice of this ecosystem and I'm going to design around that, then that gave me a focus and and was and I was able to design something that was very particular to a particular yeah. place and to, to a more particular place than, than, than my global view of things. And that actually allowed me to, to succeed with the, with the project. So, and then that, but, but that was completely in, uh, I won't say it's an ego driven decision, but it was a decision that this is what I want to focus on. And this is mm-hmm. my take on this is this great big world to explore, but I'm, I'm going to talk about this in particular for this. Yes. Project. So the, the book starts with chapter one is be weird. It's the law of expression. And what you are saying is the foundation of everything, you know, all 38 chapters that come afterwards. And, you know, there's this curious thing that happens. And I hope, I hope, um, hope someone out there really thinks about this hard. When we're growing up, the word weird is weaponized. Mm -hmm. And uh, very literally, you know, someone will say, that's the weird kid. Or you get older and you go to work and you're in an office and they say, that's the weird, you know, that's the weird guy. That's the weird gal. You know, don't eat lunch with them. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, there's a curious uh, thing happening here where inside of our bubble, inside of our daily lives, so the places we go regularly and the people we see, we desire conformity. We call those things that stand out weird. However, outside of our bubble, it's the exact opposite. We, for a lack of a better term, culturally worship weird. So you take, um, you know, musicians, if I were to say Lady Gaga, incredibly weird persona that she built, right? And I'm not using weird as a negative here. Um, you know, you guys could probably name way more musicians, but I could say like Elon Musk. He's a weird character. People love this. Dude's <laughs> oh, yeah. odd as hell, right? And so on and so forth. And so chapter one is saying, hey, the weird that you ostracize locally and on a micro scale, but on a macro scale worship, you need to recognize that because the people in your life, the, the weird kid at school or the weird person in the office is actually the brave one, is the one that's being mm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And when you are yourself, when you put yourself into your work, you know, like you said, Neil, with your thesis, it all of a sudden resonates with so many people. And in the beginning, I, I love math. This book is filled with what I hope is a lot of practical uh, applications of these abstract ideas. And in chapter one, I use one where I say, hey, take three of your interests, you know, a book, movie, and a TV show. So I'll say Dune, The Matrix, and uh, Fringe comes to mind. If And I know I, my wife always goes, be careful with the math because that's where you lose people. So <laughs> let's let's all focus here. 
is if we have just a thousand options for each, the combinations there are eight, uh, one billion. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I just went from one in eight billion humans to one in eight humans because now there's eight billion, uh, there's a billion. <laughs> version. See, this is why my wife is like, dude, you are with words. Yeah, yeah. But do yeah, you, yeah. you're following, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so let's just throw in a fourth thing, you know, favorite food. I love mac and cheese. Always have. I'm a big kid. The permutations are 128 uh, million. You know, it's it's a, uh, significantly more than Earth, right? The population of Earth. You immediately become literally unique when you can put those four things into your work. Not um, not like when you go and do Little League and everybody gets a trophy for being special, you know, whether you win or lose, but actually putting your interests into what you do and being, quote unquote, weird makes the things you create literally, mathematically, very unique. And more valuable. Absolutely. Absolutely. So many songwriters struggle with, with standing out. You know, because they want to sit within a within a genre because that is how, you know, people like you need to have some kind of relation that people understand what you do, but they want to stand out. Sometimes people, you know, have, have sent us stuff to be on the show and it's good, but it's so generic because mm. they're just following a formula so much that they need to bring in something weird or something that is unique to them. It's also being um, being OK with being a bit uncomfortable. And I yeah. think that's, especially for songwriters and creative people, we can be very insecure. And I think allowing yourself to be uncomfortable is okay. You know, and that's how you actually wind up doing something great as opposed to doing what you've done, you know, maybe a hundred times before. And I think it gets back to that certainty versus uncertainty and the way that culturally we're brought up to say that, to almost say that the, the 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 external answer is always the right one, and there's only one solution to this problem, and it has nothing to do with with what what I want or whatever. Because I think that's that's kind of a fear among especially beginner songwriters that they're trying they're almost trying to be too objective. You know, they're trying to be they're trying to write a song about an issue or something like that, and it's like they're being a reporter. And it's like, yeah. I was like, well, that's fine, but you're not a reporter, you're not a journalist, you're not just reporting on the news. Well, I want, I want, I want to hear your particular twist on this mm, thing. Yeah. And what are you, what are you, what are you intersecting this with? It gets back to that intersection of ideas. Is you got this, you got this issue that you're concerned about, but you're going to bring something of your own personal experience to it and mesh it in there, and and now you've got, you know, uh, a combination that is unique to to your story. And yet it still has universal appeal and all, all those sorts of things that we, we tend to ramble on about on this, on this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You touched upon a keyword fear and it's, hmm. it's omnipresent. You know, I think you guys can agree that even now, as many songs as you've written, you know, as many things as I've designed, uh, the fear does not go away. I just get better at handling it, but mm -hmm. I face it every single time. Joey, what is, um, you know, we talk about uh, the mechanics of writing songs. We don't talk about the inspiration because um, I think there's lots of people who talk about inspiration. You know, we want to talk about the, the, the actual, you know, how you actually get stuff done. What was the biggest challenge for you in writing this book? Because I think a lot of people have thought, gee, I'd like to write a book. And what was your biggest challenge? 
That's a that's a great question. I I was an English major back in the day, so I will oh. say that I had some. Uh, I had a foundation of preparedness because the way I wrote the book, there's 39 laws, and it's sort of like 39 essays. Um, it's not like a, a typical nonfiction book where they present their thesis in the first 10% and then they they basically extrapolate for the next 90%. The biggest challenge for me was finding the stories to illustrate the points that I was making. So I had the laws very quickly. I wrote the table of contents in a few hours, you know, having 10 years to think about it. And uh, the the challenge was then finding the right story that I could entertain someone with, maybe surprise them. You know, if it's someone new, great. If it's someone you heard of, then how do I, like Emily Dickinson or Thomas Edison, how do I bring something new to the table that you thought you knew, uh, but it turns out you didn't? And that that mm-hmm. was difficult. As far as, you know, if I had to to give everyone a writing tip, since perhaps songwriting is somewhat analogous to book writing, mm-hmm. is I never went backwards when I wrote this book. So I, w- I wrote from front to back, more or less. And when I wrote chapter one, my wife, Ariana, would read it out loud. She'd give me feedback. I'd make some tweaks. And then I put it away never to read it again. And so mm. see, because the illusion of progress is editing. When you go back to the, you know, in songwriting, it could be the the few stanzas or in book writing, it could be the few paragraphs or chapters that you had just written. And you could say, wow, I did so much work today when actually I did not proceed any closer to my end goal, which is writing a book or writing a song. So my biggest tip writing wise is don't go backwards. Stick no matter how crappy it is, just keep pouring out. Yeah. And uh, you know, speaking of Ariana, there was one chapter I was getting to the end of the book and uh, I couldn't write that evening. And I had decided following the laws that I had previously written, I knew that I just had to jump in and go. And so that's what I did. And I I literally was typing. I would probably was groaning, typing mm-hmm. these words. And I forced myself to write the 3000 word chapter, whatever it was. And like I said, I brought these things to Ariana to talk about. And I said, she sat down at the table and I I was like, you could see in my posture, I slumped. I kind of mumbled to her, all right, here's the next one. She was so moved by the chapter. Less than a month later, she quit her job because of what I wrote in that chapter that had hit her in the right way. And that is the power of continuing. And it's also a great example of you might not even be your own best judge Mm -hmm. of what you're making. So often the people's most popular songs are not necessarily the songs they like the most. True. And, uh, you know, that's, that happens all the time, which, which must be a real pain when you have to (laughs) have to perform them, perform it every night. (laughs) Can't imagine. I can't imagine that. I hope the who's likes playing my generation. Although the phrase hope I die before I get old is getting a little weird, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) this sounds really dumb, but something I really appreciate about the, uh, this book is it has a built-in bookmark. Yeah. (laughs) If you're you're getting the hard copy uh, version, 
it's actually really useful. It's one of those things where I wish all books had this, but especially yeah. for this kind of book where you're going to. But, you know, you'll probably want to have lots of uh, post-it notes. Um, especially when you do a lot of creativity, it does help to kind of go back to the basics once in a while and go, oh, yeah, you know, I should try combining stuff more. Because especially in, in my world, you because it's very deadline uh, oriented, you tend to crank stuff out because mm. you have to crank stuff out. So sometimes you have to remind yourself, you know, I need to bring something new in here just to kind of freshen up your own battery. Yeah, I, I wrote it. I hope that it is as much in a book about entertainment and, and information as it is a reference where you mm -hmm. don't have to read this thing front to back at no. all. And, you know, I even have a section in the back that's common creative challenges and how to address them, where it prescribes certain law sets based on the challenge you're facing. You know, it could be... Um, my ideas on good, or I have no ideas, or I made something, but I'm afraid to publish it. And mm. um, I think, you know, just how you kind of referenced it, I think is is my hope is that it's, it's a good reminder. And especially for for those people who, who are maybe even really good at their craft, but they've never really studied it as such, mm. then this is the sort of thing that can get you like you say, Phil, can get, give you a fresh angle or allow you to introduce yeah. fresh angles on, on your thing. If you've done, if you've done, especially um, if, if, if what you say, you're just cranking out stuff and, and, you know, from a songwriter's perspective, if all your songs kind of sound the same album to album year over year, how can you inject something fresh in it? Well, yeah. it's, it's these sorts of things <laughs> that will allow you to inject something fresh in it, right? I have a question for you guys. I don't want to put yeah. you on the spot, so you can feel free to pass. I'm curious if there was any story or idea in here that resonate, resonated with you. For me, it was the combining thing, because it is something that I have been conscious of, and I've mentioned it, you know, how Picasso, you know, went and saw an African mask exhibition and thought, oh, I'll bring that in, and suddenly all his faces of his women look like African masks. And that became part of his style. It's just bringing that stuff back to sort of top of mind, especially with music. When you get when you're performing, the actual physical thing that you do kind of goes into your unconscious, the flow state. And when you're on stage and you're just and you're just, you know, things are just happening. You don't know what's going on because your subconscious is taken over and you're just kind of there in the mm -hmm. moment. Sometimes it's good to sort of bring that sort of intellectualization back and go, Oh, yeah, you know, I haven't done this practice in a while. I should do it again. And it's actually kind of started a new song for me because I thought, you know, here's two things that I haven't really thought about putting together. I'm going to put those together and just play around with it. As opposed to, you know, I you know come up with a riff on the bass and come up with a song and, and build a song the way I normally do. It's a way of getting yourself to put something together in a way that you didn't. So that it was one of those things that just kind of brought it up to, to you know, the top of my mind. I went, oh, yeah. You should try that. Yeah, I, th I think for me, like I was referencing before about my about my university thesis, the, the power of limitation section it really resonated with me because it kind of reminded me of of that and when, and and the moment in my life where I found okay, now I understand that I'm a creative person. <laughs> mm. You know, and it, it took it yeah. took a little while, but it, it got me there. And then and that's something that I think the last few years I have been gradually focusing on 
um, as a songwriter and even encouraging on this on this podcast. And even when we do we do these songwriting challenges every year where we we pose an assignment to ourselves and and to our listeners to write a song based on something. And 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 then and that whole idea of power of limitation and how you can impose that upon your own yeah. creative process and and again say I'm going to focus on this today, and and that's a good it's a good learning and it's a good way to grow and it's a good way to to explore different things and it's a good way to get out of the boxes that you create for yourself that you mm. tend to be a gerbil in the wheel spinning around, um, yeah. And you know it just it just enables you to do all sorts of all sorts of interesting um, uh, things with and so that 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 really um, resonated with me. Of course, I haven't finished the book, so there may be something else. <laughs> yeah. Have, have you gotten to uh, the law of specificity yet? No. Is that ring? So no. it, I think it also uh, it really relates. It essentially mm -hmm. says, um, make for yourself and you will appeal to many. Make for many and you will appeal to none. Yes, and I true. use an analogy in there, which is, you know, imagine a glove for your hand that is so super generic, right? Just charcoal colored, no fancy seam work, uh, extremely basic, one type of material. And you would think this, everybody in the world has hands. This is great for everyone. I'm going to sell a ton of these gloves. And that's making for many. However, then imagine the actual activities you do. So say you go boxing. Are you going to box in that or a glove specifically designed for boxing mm -hmm. or for doing plumbing or digging or for tapping on your phone? And so you realize when you make for a very specific instance, which is in your case, you know, what you did with your thesis, you're actually speaking to so many more people than when you try to make uh, something that tries to appeal to a lot. Yes. Yes. It's what's known as a message for everyone is a message to no one. No one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we do we do talk a lot with, in regards to that. We talk a lot about lyrics with that, about how very specific lyrics are actually more universal than than generic lyrics that are that, that try to be universal, but they're yeah. They're not. If you mention specific specific places, specific um, activity or um, actions or events mm -hmm. or things like that, that can resonate with more people, even if they haven't experienced it firsthand. They know something about it or can feel the emotion behind that, and somehow that's just more more resonant than than trying to appeal to right. yeah to everybody. something that seems more relatable to a broader group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's like you talk about in your book about examples, right? Like the 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 stories about the people that did these things. I mean, I, I, yeah, I can't relate to those specific ex experiences, but I, I but by example, I learn and I recognize and I resonate with, right? One of the exciting things, though, is we have a free book to give away yes. to one of our lucky listeners. <laughs> yeah, Joey is uh, generously donating yet another copy <laughs> to one yes. of our listeners. So we, we would like our, our listeners to email us uh, at feedback at songtalk.ca. Send us an email and tell us what does what, what, what does this whole discussion mean to you? What, what does creativity mean to you um, as a songwriter? And um, and we're going to go through those emails, uh, pick the funniest one. And that one. <laughs> <laughs> so we can put a date on this, though, because, you know, when the podcast comes out, it might take a while for people to listen to it. So we need to give this a, uh, a deadline. Two weeks. Two weeks? No, that's not enough. No, we got to do at least 
No, we'll do it. Um, we'll do it three weeks after the podcast comes out. How's three that? Weeks? All right, three weeks. Three works weeks. For me. All right, Great. so three weeks after the podcast comes out, we'll we'll put it on the on the show post um, when the when the deadline is, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what you guys have to say, and then we'll probably just pick one at random. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to gonna get a signed copy. Sounds yeah, great. It'll be a signed copy. We got signed copies. We do appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, great. I'm really enjoying it. And it's a great book to just read little bits of, too, which is nice. Awesome. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's nice for me because the last few years, everything I read is on Kindle. And it's nice to have a good yeah, flash and same. hardcover. It same. really is, actually. <laughs> with a I appreciate it. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Neil, Phil, I know we're wrapping up with the the tunes. Thank you guys for, um, you know, inviting me on and, and, you know, with the question of what are we talking about or, you know, how applicable is it? And just a bit of, uh, you know, a music noob coming in with a a different perspective. And I I am grateful, truly, you know, for you guys letting me uh, in, in on the convo and for all of you out there who still listen to this point, you know, thank you as well. It's, it's wonderful. And I, I really thank you. It's, I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. We, we totally appreciate you being on the show. It's a, it's a bit of a different twist for us. And it's, it's a, it's a great conversation and, and it's absolutely everything you have in that book is very applicable to, to songwriting and uh, all the stuff that we do and all the stuff we talk about. So um, where can our listeners find more about you, Julie? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you want to check out the book, go to joeycafone.com slash book. And if you want to say hello to me, go on Instagram or Twitter at joeycafone. Can you spell the last name for us, please? Yes. C-O-F is in Frank. O-N-E. Perfect. All right. We'll definitely link uh, to those things um, from our show post um, for this episode. And we do want to hear from you. So send us your comments on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to at songtalkradio or send us an email at feedback at songtalk.ca. And once again, send us an email telling us what creativity for you uh, means to you as a songwriter. And uh, hopefully we can can win a copy of uh, Joey's new book. Um, Also be sure to check out our YouTube channel for live performance videos and full episodes. Subscribe today to the song talk radio podcast on your favorite podcast provider and don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter uh, you can find links to all the products books and web services we mentioned on the show on our resources page at songtalk.ca and we'll definitely include this book um, as a resource on our page Wherever you are in the world, please join us online via Zoom at our next monthly Song Talk Meetup. It's free to join on meetup.com and free to attend the meetup, bring a song and a lyric sheet, and get constructive feedback from other songwriters. Stop by songtalk.ca for the link. You can follow me at neilmodi.com. You can follow Phil at philemory.ca. And uh, Joey, uh, you're you're an Instagrammer, you said, right? <laughs> yep, Joey Caffone. Joey Caffone on Instagram, perfect. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And be sure to stop by the website, songtalk.ca, to browse past shows, find out how you can be a guest. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Keep on writing and keep on being creative. Good night, everyone. See you Bye-bye. next time. Yes. Podcast, you don't really know if it's going to be night. I think they know what they're talking about. Ha, 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 ha.